What's up? This is Louie from the Splatter Tribe Show on Splatter Tribe Radio on the Live 365 app. And you're listening to Undergroundopolis with Mr. Rob Lyon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Undergroundopolis. Another exciting night here, man. I can't. It's another another guest I can't believe agreed to come on. It's, it's amazing what you do, what people will do if you just ask. It's like, it's wow. <laughs> Jason Ringenberg from Jason and the Scorches is is, oh, is my guest, and like he's a cow punk pioneer. A lot a lot of people refer to Jason and the Scorchers as the first cow punk band, and I've been listening. to They've done Farm Aid. They've, they've played all over. He, you know, and uh, we'll just we'll just bring him right on. This is Jason. Hey, man. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. By the way, <laughs> man, my pleasure. My pleasure. What was it that made you get into music? Did you see somebody like live, or did you see go to a concert? Like, I want to do that. Yeah, I think I was in my late high school years, and when my older sister came back from college, I lived a pretty sheltered life around the farm, didn't hear a lot of music, really, and um, she brought home all these crazy Bob Dylan records, and <laughs> that just that just sealed it for me. Well, how did you first get into music? I mean, did, did you start playing guitar, did you start singing, or writing, or? Yeah, I wasn't particularly music mu- musical. Um Growing up, I just always loved music a lot. But, you know, once again, my sister had an acoustic guitar in the house, and I started messing around with it and learned a few chords. And, and then, of course, learned Blowing in the Wind and just took off from there and, and we just fell in love with performance. Do you have a particular creative process when you write? Is there? I think that every song is different. It seems to be, I don't know if this is a, a provable a provable fact, but it seems to be the ones that come fastest with the most music and lyrics together tend to be the best. Not always, but they tend to be. That's me too. Like the ones I write in just minutes are like, they, they seem to be game of the most traction, which always surprises me when <laughs> some of my songs like, like, I can't believe people like that song. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of it. But there's plenty of exceptions too. Sometimes you'll work on a song for years before it gets right, yeah. then it works, you know. Yep, I have those too. <laughs> you didn't just walk up, wake up one day, probably, and say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna start cow punk." It's funny that it, I remember one of the first posters I had from a band in the Midwest called Shakespeare's Riot, and this was in the '70s, and we did, um, you know, we were starting to hop up Johnny Cash songs and stuff, and one of our tags was. Farmer Punk. <laughs> that was about how what we called ourselves. So I guess that was the first sort of cow punk. Yeah, probably in the Midwest, I would imagine. Do you have a favorite show that you played? I mean, you played Farm Aid, which is the White Lies Farm Aid video is one of my favorite videos ever. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty smoking. Uh, <laughs> seeing Warner pacing back and forth on the stage. While Jesse Jackson did his ramp up speech, it's really quite incredible. Warner <laughs> was like a caged animal wanting to get on that stage. Is there a favorite show that you have? Can you narrow down uh, one? It's hard to say because there's. I enjoy performance so much that can't I have tell a it. A lot of favorites, but I will say 
the 84 marquee club, uh, show in London was pretty happening. You know, we had guys from the stones were there and Elvis Costello and, and all kinds of, you know, people like that, Nick Lowe and, and, um, Dave Edmonds and all those kinds of folks were at that show. That was a favorite of mine. Um, the farm aid show you mentioned was pretty happening. Some of the yeah. last shows I did last year on the Stan Tall tour solo were one some of the most memorable I've done in a long time because it was kind of finding a new identity for myself on stage. It was pretty cool. I was working at a cover band. I was like, I want to play White Lies. I want to play White Lies, and we could never do it. <laughs> so we, and it's not really a difficult song, but we couldn't. It's it's it was hard to cover. <laughs> well, the, the guitar part's hard to cover. It's deceptively difficult. It sounds easy, but it's a pretty hard part to cover. Perry wrote that guitar part. You wrote that. Who did? He did. Perry, the drummer. Oh, wow. Who also wrote the song. So, you know, he pretty much told us what to play. Oh, man. That's, oh, I love that song. I love Golden Ball and Chain. Of course, God bless the Ramones. And I heard one the other day for the first time that I'd never heard before. I can't imagine what, and I'm trying to, what is this? Tuskegee. Tuskegee. Tuskegee Pride, Tuskegee, yeah. Yeah. Such a great song, which I'll, oh, like on the audio podcast, I'll probably edit part of that song in, into the podcast to make sure everybody hears how great of a song that is. Thank you. Great. <laughs> Such a great song. Uh, do you have a least favorite performance? Well, I'll there's plenty question. of those. <laughs> 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 I've, done, I've done a lot of Dodge gigs, too. The well the good ones. But I have this very useful psychological mechanism that I think has allowed me to stay in the business for 40 years without ever having any hit songs. Um, and that is, I can forget bad shows. I can, you know, the shows that no one shows up at or the sound system's really crummy or they don't like you or whatever. I can somehow forget those and they don't stick in my mind. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that happens because <laughs> there's been plenty of those, I can tell you. Would you prefer the studio or the stage? A good question. And most of my life, the stage, but I, I really have enjoyed the studio experiences I've had this last couple of years. I kind of figured out how to work the studio better than I used to, I think. You have a particular favorite song throughout the years that's that's really always stuck with you as a favorite to, to play? Yeah, Harvest Moon from Fervor. I always love playing that one. Uh, no matter how many times I do it, it's one of the favorite sort of songs of ours from, from Scorchers fans. And I always love doing that one. Um, certainly doing God Bless the Ramones, I always love doing that one. That you just played. I love that song. Play that song. I do too. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very fun song. That's it's a fun, fun song to introduce too because people really aren't expecting it. You know, I, I tell a whole story about how I wrote that song when I was at the Sequoia National Forest, uh, National Park. And I was underneath this huge... A sequoia tree called the Colonel Charles Young tree, which is named after the first African American that that had graduated from West Point. And um, no one is expecting me to sag into God Bless the Ramones, you know, from that from that speech. So it's always a real shock. I, I love doing that tree. And Young was uh, an incredible human being. Like I said, he was the first graduate African American graduate of West Point. He was the first African American to be. Um, commissioned colonel in the United States Army. He was the first commandant of a national park. And when he took over the Sequoia National Park, 
you know, it was being overrun by these logging gangs who are taking these giant sequoia trees down illegally and uh, and selling these these beautiful trees for a fortune. They were making a killing. And Young just, you know, A, he's African-American confronting these white mobs of these hardcore, you know, tough lumberjack guys who are also criminals, you know. Um, and they come into the park and Young would just stand in the road and he'd, he'd, you know, just sort of stand there in their way as they were coming in with their mules and their, and their wagons. And there'd be 30 or 40 guys in these gangs. And he would, he would, um, you know, just sort of plant his feet. And after they got close enough to hear him, he'd say, y'all need to stop and go back or I'm going to have to arrest you. And they, they, of course, would laugh at him. They'd yell at him. They called him the N-word, of course. And, um, and they said, how are you going to stop us? There's 40 of us. There's only one of you. And he said, yeah, that's true. But which one of you is going to pull that gun first? Because whoever does, I'm going to pull it, put, a, put, a, put a bullet between your, eye, between your eyes. And this just freaked these guys out. They're, they're basically thugs and bullies. But they, they would turn around and leave. And he was able to save so many so many of these, so many of these um, great sequoia trees. Now, fast forward to my being underneath Charles Young tree, and I'm thinking, who could I write a song about that would, you know, be a hero of mine? And I thought back to 1982 when Jason and the National Scorchers opened for the Ramones in Texas, a whole Texas tour. It was our first tour of outside of you know the South and the Midwest that we'd ever done. The first time on big stages. And we were nowhere near ready to be doing this, honestly. But, you know, we got to Beaumont, Texas, you know, with like $2 left, you know, just a little bit of gas in our tank, this old, old, old Econoline van. And we got to the gig, and there we were in this huge auditorium, you know, it was a 2,000-seat place. Jeff didn't have any bass strings. We didn't have a sound person to run our sound. We didn't know anything about nothing. And, you know, we heard all these horror stories about how the Ramones were these tough guys from Brooklyn, you know, from Queens. And they were the nicest, kindest people to these dumb hillbillies from Tennessee. They would just open, they let us go in their dressing room and eat their food because we didn't have any food. You know, we were about half starved. And they let us have their beer, you know, to drink in the, in the, in, in the, out of their dressing room. They, they let their sound man mix our, mix our show. They told their light people to give us nice lights on the stage and, they didn't mess with us at all. Even Didi Ramon even gave Jeff some bass strings uh, so he could have bass strings to play. So, you know, that was the genesis of the song, God Bless the Ramones. It was from that experience of opening for the Ramones in Texas in 1982. Now, I will say that I'm not quite, at the time, I wasn't quite sure how he got this gig. It, it sounded too good to be true. And when we got there, we kind of understood why. A lot, not a lot of people really wanted to open for the Ramones in those days because, especially in Texas, they had this tradition among the uh, audiences that the opening bands would get just bombarded with garbage. So we took the stage, and, and before we even hit a note, before the even show started, you know, they were just pelting us with all this garbage, this vile stuff. But instead of quitting, we just kind of like started throwing the stuff back at them and yelling at them and calling them names and just taunting them and, and egging them on. And I think we actually gained fans in the end by, by doing that as opposed to backing off. 
Um, and we still meet people to this day that say, I saw you in Austin in 1982 and never forgot how you guys stood down 2,000 people. Is there anybody that you would like to collaborate with that you haven't already probably? <laughs> Could you think of somebody like that? Well, we got to tour with Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> did a whole tour with him in 89. But I never had a chance to write a song with Bob Dylan. That would be just the ultimate for me, yeah. I would say to do that would be pretty incredible. If you could open a show for anyone that you haven't already. That's a good question because we have opened for so many people. I, I forget sometimes. When I start listening to them, it sounds like I'm name dropping. But, I mean, some of the people we've opened for, Black Flag, the Circle Jerks, Bob Dylan, the Fabulous Thunderbirds, um, R.E.M., U2, um, John Mellencamp, um, Little Richard, <laughs> golly, you know, there's so many. I, I forget them all. But I think probably opening someone that I haven't opened for that I would have liked to, just to, to hear them, like being on tour with them. Because that's when you really get to know them when you tour with them. When you just open one show, a lot of times you don't even have any dealings with them, you know. But when you tour with them, yeah, you get to know them. Like I remember when we toured with Dylan, I was in the buffet line to get my dinner that night at the at the venue, the catered dinner. And uh, I didn't know it, but right behind me, I heard this guy say, hey, Jason, man, get the barbecue. It's really good tonight. It was freaking Bob Dylan telling me to eat the barbecue. <laughs> you know, so, you know, um, so that was a, a, a big one. I, maybe, man, let's just say, to answer your question, let's say Neil Young. That would have been a really cool opening. If you could do like a whole tour of Neil Young, that would be really great yeah. to know him and hang out with him. That would be cool. Is Rhinestone the latest album? Rhinestone is the latest album, yeah. Uh, it just came out about a month ago. And okay, good, good. I recorded it this last, you know, this last year and put it all together and you know, during the COVID lockdowns. And now it's out, and I'm having fun talking to you people right here on, on uh, Undergroundopolis. Right now it's not a good time to tour, but is, is there anything coming up at all? Yeah. Um, my American tour. It's a two-date American tour <laughs> right now. Um, I'm going to open the tour in celebrating the release of Rhinestone at my farm, right here on our farm in Bon Aqua, Tennessee, May 8th. It's an outdoor concert, so anybody can come, social distance, all that. Uh, sit wherever they want, you know, bring whatever they want to to eat and uh, drink. And you're going to hear me play music on my own farm. That's my favorite one coming up. So how do you then get we're to? We're doing um, Eddie's Attic in Decatur, Georgia, in near Atlanta. That's kind of the second uh, leg of the tour. <laughs> That's pretty much it right now. How do you get tickets to the farm? Uh, just go on my website, and there's ways to get it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's an early show. It starts at 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. And, uh, you know, if you want to sit on top of my chicken house and watch it, you're welcome to it. You know? <laughs> you, you've, you've performed all over the world. Is that correct? That's correct. Like Europe, uh, where else? Well, I shouldn't say all over the world. No, I haven't toured all over the world. My myopic of me, but if you, you toured Antarctica, I mean, never hit Antarctica, no, never hit Asia, <laughs> but uh, I've been to Australia a few times, been to Europe more times than I can remember. I mean, uh, I, I bet I've been there 70 or 80 times and done hundreds of shows in Europe, uh, all over North America, of course. Uh, so yeah, I've hit a lot of the world, not all of it, but about half of it.
how do, how did how do you get on a bill with uh black black flag? How did Jason? You know, that, that's it's bizarre in a way, but it's also really cool. <laughs> it's like, well, in the early days, Jason and the National Scorchers was we were a lot more punk rock than we are now. It became later. In the early days, we were a punk rock band. I mean, Jeff wore a, a mohawk, shaved head. Warner had crazy outfits on, and you know, we were we could play punk rock clubs, and that's pretty much what we did. So yeah, I mean, I remember playing the 688 in Atlanta, Georgia, with you know, opening for the Circle Jerks, and we went over great. Our audience loved us. It was really cool. It was really, really early on, I think that was like February or March of 1982. Um, so. We could do that, you know. We were, we were. It was an interesting band in those early days, eighty-one, eighty-two, eighty-three. The band one day, we would be playing a show in Nashville. And we'd have Bill Gold, Bill, you know, Bill Golden from the Oak Ridge Boys to come up and jam with us, you know. And then two days later, we'd be in Atlanta, Georgia, opening for the Circle Jerks. Um, so, the band was just really strange that way. We'd have guests like, you know. Steve, you know, one night Rodney Crowell would be at our show or Emmy Lou Harris. And then the next night, you know, Steve Jones and the Sex Pistols would be there. The band drew this crazy mix of people. It was so exciting in those days. You got anything else you'd like to plug in before we start wrap, before we wrap this up? No, just thank you for, you know, doing this, Rob. And, and you know, good luck with this. With, with this. Uh, I think it's a really cool, cool thing you have going. My new record is called Rhinestone. It can it's available on my website at jasonringenberg.com or pretty much anywhere music is sold. So I hope to see you guys down the road and thank you for listening. Get your tickets to the farm. Get your get, where was the other place in Georgia? Where's where's that at? Eddie's Attic. That's uh June fifth. And the farm show is May eighth. Yeah. May eighth. June fifth yeah, close to my birthday. Hmm. <laughs> hey everybody this is dino with huh podcast and my dad joke is what do you call a masturbating cow beef stroganoff that is all our time we have for now Thank you for listening to Undergroundopolis. Remember, we do this every Wednesday night, bringing you new and exciting artists every week. Be sure to hit up their websites and social media and stream or download their music. If you like this show, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, any streaming platform, and leave us a review as well. I'm your host, Rob Lyon, signing off.